This is the preaching podcast from Keystone Church and Pastor Josh Cox. To find out more about Keystone, visit keystonerdu.church. We hope you enjoy today's message. Does anyone remember the Gulf War? Those of you who do remember, if you weren't born then, you weren't around then, you were too young to remember, I'm sure you could probably Google it, you could probably YouTube it. If you guys remember it, those of us who do, since Josh is telling my age, um, I remember watching the Gulf War and thinking, this was amazing. I'm watching a war and it's on TV. And it wasn't just troops going in. You could see these stealth bombers going in for these strategic attacks. It was wild. I'm watching a war that's on TV. What were they doing? They were taking out command and control and knocking out communications. Why? Because in a war, when you take out command and control, you knock out communications, the troops on the ground are not giving orders. And so they're left in chaos and they don't know exactly which direction to go. So they either don't, they don't know whether they should advance, they should surrender, and they're just kind of left hanging and not sure exactly what to do, and they simply just give up. What in the world does that have to do with us today? Because our adversary, the devil, has done the same thing to us in the home by removing the Father from his God-given biblical roles and responsibilities from the home. So therefore, the father is not getting communication from God to give to the family. And the family today in America is in chaos. It is so sad to look back and see because men have not stepped up to the plate and done what they have been called to do. Well, Jeff... Exactly. How do, you, how do you know that? Well, in prison, do you realize that those who are in prison... Well, let me tell you this story first. There's a story of uh, a prison, and we've got so many in North Carolina, I'm assuming it's one of ours. Um, the ones who were uh, over the prison decided that they were going to give a bunch of cards to the inmates uh, to give for Mother's Day. And it was such a huge success that they actually ran out of cards. They didn't have enough cards for these inmates to give to their moms for Mother's Day. So they decided to do the same thing for Father's Day. And on Father's Day, almost no one showed up. Did you know that 70% of those who are in prison grew up without a father? Did you also know that the leading cause of poverty in the United States is fatherlessness? The leading cause for poverty here in America, fatherlessness. What in the world, Jeff, are you talking about? And how in the world do you know these things? Because I've seen this in my own life. Now, get me wrong. You've got two different separate things. You've got either a father who's been completely removed from the home, or you have a father who's in the home, but yet he's convinced that his job and his role and his responsibility is something other than what God intended. And with my dad, now please hear me. I loved my dad. Before he passed away, he was my best friend. I have nothing but respect for my dad. But early on in my formative years, until I I was the age of 11, my dad was an alcoholic. That's the kind of home that I lived in. After God changed him, for my teen years, he ruled our home, literally, many times with an iron fist. 
I have friends and family and stuff that I know. In fact, my two grandfathers, on my dad's dad, my paternal grandfather, I never met him. I never met either one of my grandfathers. Why? Because one was an alcoholic. He died when my dad was nine years old and he literally drank himself to death. The other, my mom's dad, my maternal grandfather, he also was an alcoholic. He left Durham, uh, a bar in downtown Durham one night, was walking on the way home drunk, was robbed, was beaten, and mugged, and left, and he literally froze to death in the cold that night. And all this happened when my dad was nine and my mom was just a young teenager. So during their formative years, they had no father. So when they came together and got married, they had no idea what it meant to be a biblical man, a biblical woman, a biblical husband, a biblical wife. And so as I grew up and looked to get married, this was something that was important to me. This is something that I wanted to know and understand, and I searched scriptures. There are four roles and responsibilities for a father, and this is what you have. You have a priest. A priest is someone who stands before his people, before his family, before God and represents his people. A prophet. A prophet is someone who stands before God and represents, God's, uh, represents God to his people, to his family. You have a provider and a protector. And here in America, many times we think that our job is only to be a provider. We go to work to provide our family with stuff. But yet God has called us to be so much more. So when you've removed a father from the home or you've removed a father and you've convinced him that his role is something other than what it should be, you've removed a priest, a prophet, a provider, and a protector. A protector is someone who protects his family from all invaders, foreign and domestic. That is our job as a father. So exactly what does this look like? If you turn with me to Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians chapter 5. What is this headship in the home? We have many men who want to stand up and say, I'm the head of my house. I'm the man in my home. But yet, if you just simply ask them a few questions that we're getting ready to ask, we can determine real quick if you're truly the head of your home. So, Jeff, what in the world does that look like? Before we go any further... Let's stop and pray. Father God, we thank you, Lord, so much for today. We thank you, Lord, for being able to come and worship you freely. Uh, we thank you, Lord, for your word and how we can read it, we can understand it, we can learn from it. So, Father God, I pray, Lord, that today that we will leave changed and leave different than the way we came in. Father God, I pray, Lord, that you will remove me out of the equation, Lord. Take away, Lord, my faults, my issues, Lord, my strengths. And Lord, I pray, Lord, that we will only see and hear, Lord, from you. We thank you for your love in Christ's name. Amen. In Ephesians chapter 5, verse 22. You guys ready? Got your seatbelts on? Strap them tight. Here we go. Wives, be subject to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ also is the head of the church. He himself being the Savior of the body... But as the church is subject to Christ, so also the wives ought to be to their husbands in everything. I didn't get any high-pitched amens. I was ready for some, oh yeah, no, no, no. We read that and we say, mm, I don't like that. 
No, 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 that's not exactly what it says. And please understand, for us to understand the roles of a husband and father, we have to understand the roles of a wife first. Now, ladies, please bear with me and understand this. Growing up, we grew up in an independent Baptist church. And every year on Sunday nights, there would be a series for men and for women. And half the time, I love our pastor, he was great. Uh, but half the time, he would get to the women and he'd always say, we're going to talk to the women first. And he would talk about dress and certain things and issues. And half the time, he never talked to the men. So ladies, I assure you, as we go through this, I'm going to get to the men. All right, there's no doubt. Just, just hang on. So this whole submission thing, how a wife is supposed to be submissive to her husband. No, no, no. We don't like that. And there have been many attempts at trying to argue this away. So what are they? We're going to go through this and go through this quickly. Verse 21. There are many people that say, well, Jeff, look at verse 21. It says, and be subject to one another in the fear of Christ. Your version might say, and be submissive, submissive, submissive to one another in reverence for Christ. Either way, subject to one another. We've got this mutual submission thing. So there, Jeff, see, you see, there's this mutual submission. This uh, wife submitting to husband thing just doesn't apply. Really? Verse 21 is at the, actually at the end of a paragraph. If you're going to understand and know the point, you actually got to look at the whole paragraph. So we're going to go up to verse 15. Now here, as we read through verse 15, you're going to see several things. You're going to see three contrasts, three commands, and three contexts. So let's go through this. Ready? Verse 15. Therefore, be careful how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise. That's the first contrast. Walk not as wise. Uh, not as unwise, but as wise. Verse 16, make the most of your time because the days are, e are evil. 17, so then do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. That's the second contrast. Don't be foolish, understand the will Lord's will. Verse 18, and do not get drunk with wine, for that is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit. There's your third contrast. Do not be drunk, be filled with the Spirit. Now you have three commands. Uh, verse 19, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your, all your heart. Great. That's what your first command, singing and making melodies to the Lord. Verse 20, always giving thanks for all things in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ to God, even the Father. That's your second command, always giving thanks. Third command, and be subject to one another in the fear of Christ. Third command, being submissive, being subject to one another. How? If you look in verse 22 through 24, wives submissive to husbands. 25 through the rest of the chapter, we're going to deal with husbands. In chapter 6, verses 1 through 4, children being submissive to parents. And then in chapter 6, verses 5 through 9, slaves to masters. So verse 21 is not the umbrella for those first few verses that we just read. Verse 21 is actually the umbrella all the way through chapter 6, verse 9. So this mutual submission thing does not hold water. So here's what I know. Some people say, well, Jeff, that's fine. And they come up with other arguments. So one is contextually. Two is grammatically. Grammatically, the Greek word uh, used here is hupotasso. Hupotasso is a military term, and it literally means for someone to voluntarily place themselves under the leadership of another. So it doesn't apply contextually. It doesn't apply grammatically. And so how do we prove Scripture? Someone shout it out. How do you prove Scripture? With other, yeah, with other Scripture. So this wife submitting to husband is found here in Ephesians 5. It's also found in 1 Peter 3 and in Colossians 3. There is nowhere else in Scripture does it say be submissive one to another. 
So this submissive, this mutual submission thing, it doesn't hold water, it doesn't apply. So yes, wives, you are supposed to be submissive to your husband. It's a command from Almighty God. And here's what I know that others say. Others say, well, Jeff, you know, that's a result of the fall. Remember when God came to Eve and said that you will desire your husband and he will rule over you? That's because of the fall. Since then, Christ has come. He has saved us. And because we have placed our faith in Christ, the curse has been reversed and it doesn't apply anymore. Really? The curse has been reversed? That would mean there's no longer pain in childbearing. Got to get a witness? <laughs> that would mean there are men you don't sweat when, when you work. Right? It doesn't matter if it's Christian men, uh, Christian men, non-Christian men, you sweat when you work. Christian women, non-Christian women, there's pain in childbearing. The curse has not been reversed. Not in that sense. And you know what? There's also male headship before the fall. Huh? How is that? Adam was made first, therefore he's the head. The woman was made from the man, therefore he's the head. The woman was made, named by the man, therefore he's the head. The woman was made for the man, therefore he's the head. And in Romans 5.12, as God came to Adam in Genesis, he saw that old boy. What did he say? Sin entered the world because of one couple, because of one woman. No, because of one man. Why? Because he was the head. It was his responsibility. And he did not hold on to his responsibility. There's a definition that I taught Tyler. Uh, uh, what does it mean to be a biblical man? As I'm teaching Carson and will eventually teach Jordan. Why? Because I wanted him to know what it means to be a biblical man, and I want them to know what kind of man they need to look for. A biblical man is someone who accepts responsibility, who rejects passivity, and who loves and leads his wife and family courageously. And one day he was at Voyager, and uh, in uh, I think his junior year, and they were having a discussion, and the teacher asked, what does it mean to be a man? And so, I mean, think about it. What does it mean to be a man? Is it when you get married? Is it when you can support yourself? Is it when you have sex? When is it that you are a man? It's something that I struggled with and wondered. In other cultures, they have ceremonies and they have things that designate when young boys become men and then they're looked at as a man. In America, we don't have anything like that. When exactly do you become a man? And so as they sat there and they had this discussion, Tyler raised his hand and he gave that definition. And the teacher said, that's a good definition. Where'd you get that from? From my dad. Because it's my job to teach them. Dads, are you fulfilling your biblical roles and responsibilities? Are you? This morning, if I step on your toes, I'm not trying to. I'm trying to commu communicate to you exactly what God's Word says to make sure that we understand what it means to be a biblical husband and a biblical father. So wives... I know you don't like this submission thing. I understand that. But it is God's Word. But if you look at your Bible, look at those few verses. Huh. Everybody look at their Bible. Look at those few verses. Now, the rest of the chapter, how much more is that? Yeah, that's right. That's for the men. Guys, you ready? Verse 25. Husbands, 
Love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself up for her. Men, we are to lead in love. Lead in love. Before we go any further, let me make sure I understand, make sure you understand something clear. Some of you are thinking, well, Jeff, you know, you told me about your childhood. You told me about the struggles your dad had. But, you know, you just don't understand the struggles that my dad has had. It's been something even worse. It's been something even more. Let me make sure you're, I'm clear that God is bigger than your upbringing. God is bigger than the frailties and the faults of the ones who raised you. And if that wasn't true, I wouldn't be here today. It is true. God is bigger than that. So hold on. Be consistent. Continue on. So here we have um, that we as men are to lead in love. A lot of men really struggle with that because, you know, we don't want to show love. You know, we don't like to say, I love you. You know, my parents never said it. I was 19 years old when I went to my dad and said, hey, dad, I just want to let you know I love you. And so I began telling him over and over again. And at first, eh, that was a little awkward. You know, we just didn't do that kind of stuff in our home. I'm not sure how it is in your home, but in our home with Manny and I, we tell each other and our kids all the time. As soon as we get off the phone, when we're walking out the door, when she gets up and goes to the restroom, it doesn't matter. We say it all the time. But growing up, it just didn't happen. My dad was, I was older, and as we began to tell him, I would give my dad a hug and a kiss. And he would push me off. No, no, son, we're men. We shake hands. I'm like, no, you're my dad, and I'm going to tell you and show you that I love you, whether you like it or not. And over time, he changed. Ladies, continue to tell him I love you. You know what? Maybe he won't say it at first, but over time, it'll change. Over time, it'll happen. Men, you know what? You're actually supposed to be the one to lead in love. You're actually supposed to be the one to tell her that you love her. You're actually supposed to be the one to lead your kids and show them that kind of love. And I have men who've told me, well, Jeff, you just don't understand. <laughs> Vody Bakken put it this way. He said, as he's trying to convince someone, what it, uh, a man, to, to go home and love your wife. It's just a command from God. Just go home and do it. Well, you just don't understand our situation. You don't understand what we've been through. I just don't love her anymore. What do you mean you don't love her anymore? I just don't love her anymore. Well, go home and love her because it's a command from God. Well, no, Jeff, well, fine. Is she a Christian? Well, yeah, yeah, she's a Christian. What does God's Word say? God's Word says that you will know my believers by the way they love one another. So go home and love your wife because she's a Christian. Well, <laughs> yeah, Jeff, that's good. I, I don't know if she's a Christian. Fine. She's your neighbor. She's your closest neighbor. Go home and love your wife because God's word says what? Love your neighbor as yourself. Well, Jeff, you don't understand. She's already moved out. God's word says love your enemies. There is no way out. Go home and love your wife. There is no way to get around it. The problem is we just don't understand and know what love is. What is love? We have been convinced by Hollywood, by Disney by TV, by too many Lifetime, Hallmark Channel, oh my goodness, <laughs> movies, to where we think love is just this romantic feeling, this sensual force that just, you just don't understand. This is, this is, that's why they say things like, this, this is bigger than both of us. What does that mean? What is that? Girls, tell me if I'm wrong. You've watched so many Disney movies, 
that when you were younger, that you could not wait for that prince or that knight in shining armor to come and rescue you from your tower. And you would fall in love and just walk away and live happily ever after, right? You weren't in the tower. You weren't strapped and stranded in a tower. He's not coming. Sorry. It's a romantic, this Greco-Roman myth of what love is. It is not just some feeling, this overwhelming sensual force. What is love? Love is an act of the will. It's accompanied by emotion that leads to action. Thank you. That leads to action on behalf of its object. This act of the will, love is a choice. These are some of the things that moms say when they're pregnant with a second child. This is how silly we are. Listen, because you've probably done this. If not, you've had a close friend that did this. When you're pregnant with your second child, you say something like, you know, I just don't know if I'm going to love this one the way I love the other one. Have you said that? How crazy is that? That's what we think. That's what we really. (laughs) So you think that Cupid, you just hope that Cupid shows up that day, right? As the baby's born and there you are and Cupid doesn't show up and shoot his arrow. You look at the baby and say, "Eh." (laughs) yeah, is that our response? No, that's how crazy and silly we are. Love is a choice. If you haven't seen our family picture, we've adopted. If you see our family picture, you can see because she's the dark one. She's sweet chocolate. And she is precious. And I'm telling you, some people have even asked, Jeff, how does that work about loving her? You've got biological kids and you've got one that's non-biological. Did you just ask me that question? Are you out of your mind? Really? Why? Because they believe love is just this sensual force kind of thing that just kind of love thing that just happens no love is a choice and we chose her and we love her just as much as our other kids she is our child she is ours and we don't even look at her different we look at her as hey she's ours we don't talk about having two kids plus one we have three kids why because love is a choice men go home and love your wife Go home and show her love. Step up and start out by loving her. Ladies, this is the kind of thing that you're being called to be submissive to. A man who goes home and chooses you. This is going to shock you. My wife does not wake up every day madly in love with me. Hey, hey, it shocks me just to even say it. All right. But I don't wake up every day deeply, madly overwhelmed in love with her either. Why? Because just like we as Christians need to make a choice each and every single day to get into God's Word and choose to work on our relationship with Him. Because it is a choice for us to do that. It doesn't happen. It's the same way in marriage. I have to get up every day and choose her, and she has to choose me every single day. Love is a choice. It's also accompanied by emotion. Ladies, it's not led by emotion. Young ladies, you're wanting to get married. Oh my goodness, I love him. Can't even get that high. (laughs) But we think that love is just going to happen kind of thing. And ladies, it's not led by emotion. Men, it's also not void of emotion. Because we as men, 
We don't show emotion, do we? No, 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 no. But this is what I do know. When you're on the golf course and you shank one, you don't say, hmm, I seem to have hit that one poorly. <laughs> when Duke and Carolina are playing and one of them is getting beat up like a tied up goat and your team's losing, you don't say, hmm, they seem to be up by a few more points. No, you are an emotional man. And when you tell your wife you don't have emotion and you don't have to show her emotion, what you're telling her is that she doesn't matter. Because she sees your emotion for your job. She sees your excitement and your emotion for your golf game or for your favorite things or your favorite team. Go home and love your wife and show her that kind of emotion. Be an emotional man. It's okay. And then it leads to action on behalf of its object. I get this definition from Mark chapter 12, verse 30, where it says that you should love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. Because that's exactly what God did for us. What did Christ do for us as he was praying in the Garden of Gethsemane? He said, Father, not my will, thy will. And he made a choice. And he chose to go and die on a cross. Why? for his bride. The picture of a husband and wife relationship is a picture of Christ and his church. Ladies, you get to play the part of the redeemed. Guys, we play the part of the one who dies. And it is our job to love our wives that way. It leads to action. You end up doing things for her that you don't understand. You don't know why she likes some of the things she likes, but you should do things for her just because you like to see her smile, just because she likes it, right? Let's look at the next verse. Verse 26, so that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word. Lead in the word. When men want to pound their chest and say, I'm the man of my house, I can ask them one question and one question only. Are you leading your family? in God's Word? Are you leading them in the Scriptures? Now, I have to be transparent and honest. Mandy and I have been married it'll be 24 years in a couple of months. 24 years in a row. It's been great. <laughs> Early on in our marriage, we struggled. Why? Because I wasn't doing my part. Because I was stupid and didn't know any better. Why? Because I wasn't leading in the Word. So we had conflict, and we weren't sure exactly who was leading and who was not. And there were issues. And so, when I finally realized that I needed to do my part, and I started leading in the Word, why? Because I wasn't getting my instructions from God to communi communicate that to my wife and kids, so they couldn't trust what I was doing or saying, because I wasn't getting the right kind of Communication from God. Once I started doing that, everything changed. Everything got so much better. Why? Because I was leading in the Word. Because I was doing exactly what I partnered. She could trust what I would say. She could trust whatever direction we were heading in because she knew where I was getting my instructions from. You know what else? She said it best. She said, you know, I used to struggle with this whole submissive thing. But once I realized that when I stand in the judgment seat of Christ, that I have to answer for how I was submissive to my husband, 
He is the one that has to answer for the direction our family went in. He is the one who has to answer for how he led our family. That's not my job or my responsibility. And once I realized that, I felt a huge weight off my shoulders. All I had to do was be submissive to him. It was up to him from then on. And it was his responsibility because he has to answer for it. Now, ladies, let me put a footnote in here. Because some of you will want to go home and get in your husband's ear or in his face and say, You see, I've been telling you to step up. I've been telling you to lead in the Word. Don't do that. Let me give you something more productive to do. You take a hammer, you go outside, and you start knocking bricks out of your home. You start taking the siding off of your house because that would be more productive than you getting in your husband's ear or face to tell him to step up and lead. Why? Because in 1 Peter chapter 3, it says, In the same way you wives be submissive to your own husbands, that even if any of them are disobedient to the word, they may be won without a word by the behavior of their wives. You will be completely disobedient to the scriptures first. Second, if you tell him to do that, then he obeys you and not God. And you will make sure that he is a failure either way. Because if he obeys you and not God, he's not doing what God called him to do. He's just obeying you. If he doesn't do it, then the conflict still continues. So ladies, you pray for him. That's your job. You pray for your man, for your husband. It is his job, and God has to get a hold of his heart to help him see where he needs to step up and where he needs to lead. We lead in love. We lead in the word. Next verse. Verse 27, that he might present himself to the church in all her glory, having no spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she would be holy and blameless. We are to lead in righteousness. Making the right choice, being a man of integrity, a man of, of character, who is going to lead his family in the right way. The problem is that our families will not pursue a greater righteousness than what you have pursued. And there are men right now, under the sound of my voice, who are addicted to pornography. You've brought filth in your speakers and your screens at home. And your family's actually trying to protect themselves from your unrighteousness. Men, we're not calling you to be perfect. We're not calling you. God says what? Be holy for I am holy. But, we're, but there was only one perfect one. There was only one spotless one. And that was Jesus, and he's the only one. We're not calling you to be perfect, but we are calling you to step up and lead your family in righteousness. Next verse. So husbands ought to also, verse 28, to love their own wives as their own bodies. He who loves his own wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes it and cherishes it, just as Christ also does the church, because we are members of, one, of his body. Lead in selflessness. When you begin to see your wife, that she is a part of you, that she is really you, you treat her differently. You won't treat her uh, as someone less than you. You won't treat her as someone that's not worthy. Or you won't treat her. You see her differently. Think about it. In creation, when God created everything, what does it say in Genesis? Let there be and there was and it was good. Let there be, and it was, and it was good. Six days of creation. All of a sudden, in Genesis chapter 2, Adam has named all the animals. God sees Adam, and what does he say? It's not good. It's not good for him to be alone. God looked at him and said, that boy ain't going to make it. we got to make him somebody fast and in a hurry. 
And so he puts Adam to sleep. And guys, I don't want to read too much in the scripture. This is just what I think. Why did he put Adam to sleep? It doesn't say why, but I think it's two reasons. One, so he wouldn't mess it up. And I know this because I know myself because I would have messed it up. Two, because he wouldn't take credit for it. Because you know, Adam would have said, girl, when God and I made you, right? He would have taken credit for it. Because I know that's what I would have done. So Adam is put to sleep, and as he wakes up, he sees Eve, and what does he say? He says, wow. It's in the Hebrew. Uh, yeah, it's in the Hebrew. Check it out. He says, wow. He says, this is now bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh. She shall be called Isha, for she was taken out of Ish. He says, she's me. And when we look at our wives that way and we realize she's me, we treat her completely differently. We need to lead in selflessness. And the last one. Verse 30, it says, for this, verse 31, for this reason a man shall leave his father and mother and shall be joined to his wife and the two shall become one flesh. We are to lead in intimacy. We need to make sure that we understand that the relationship between a husband and wife is the primary relationship in our home. We have couples who have been married 20, 20 plus years and when their children leave, they ended up getting divorced. Why? Because they said, it was just us and we had nothing because everything was poured into their children. Husbands, this is your responsibility to make sure you lead in intimacy. And we also need to practice this. N-S-A. Non-sexual affection. Now I know guys what you're thinking. Anytime I try that, then that always leads to this. So I give up because every time I try that, it leads to this. Fine, I'm going to help you right now. You try that when it can't lead to this. Get your, you get up in the morning, you're ready to leave for work, got keys in hand, and you have to leave. You kiss her. You kiss her good. You tell her, I'll be thinking about this moment for the next eight to ten hours, and then leave. She will call you before you get out of the driveway. I'm telling you. <laughs> You get home that night, where are the babies? I said, them to my mamas. <laughs> Men, we are called to lead in love. Lead in the word, lead in righteousness, lead in selflessness, and lead in intimacy to make sure that our relationship with our wife is primary and foremost. And I know some of you are thinking, well, Jeff, that bar's kind of set kind of high, and I'm not sure about that. If your job every single day is to get up and to be more like Christ, when you're more like Christ, you'll be more like this. You'll be this kind of biblical man. Why? Because he is the chief lover. He is the word. He is righteousness. He is the spotless one. He is selflessness. Because the Bible says what? There's no greater love than anyone has than anyone to go and lay down their life for another. And that's what Christ did for us. He is intimacy because his focus was on his relationship with his bride. We don't have to pound our chest. We don't have to convince other people that we are head of our home when we are leading this way. When people look at you, they know that by the way you led. Trust me, Tom Brady is not in the huddle with the Patriots going, guys, I'm the quarterback. He's not doing that. Why? 
because they know who the leader is and they're going to follow that leader. Your family will follow you when you are this kind of man and leader. This has been the preaching podcast from Keystone Church and Pastor Josh Cox. For more information about Keystone Church, visit keystonerdu.com. Please subscribe to hear future messages. Thank you.